Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Carol Ganawa, your Married for Life coach, and you are listening to One Flesh for Life. Good evening, everyone. I am on this podcast tonight with very mixed feelings. I'm happy, but I'm also sad. I'm happy because I believe that I obeyed the Lord's voice and did these podcasts to remind everybody that you never have to experience divorce ever again because God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. I also had a burden to see many lives change through the teachings that I've been sharing and many of you have told me that you have been touched by my teachings. I really appreciate that. Well, this is the grand finale, my friends. And even though I'm happy that I obeyed the Lord's voice and did exactly what the Lord commanded me to do by sharing these podcast episodes with you, I'm also sad that divorce is still rampant, not only here in America, but in other parts of the world. Many countries are still facing the devastation of divorce in families. Families all over the world are experiencing divorce from the wife's end or the husband's end. Divorce is still a problem in our nations. And I intend to continue to pray, seek the Lord and fast about divorce coming to an end in our nations of the earth. Because the bottom line is, my friends, divorce does affect your life, even more so your children, and I am one of them. Today, as I speak, my friends, I'm not able to see my own mother, the woman that gave birth to me. On December 3rd, 1967. She had a bouncing baby girl, which was me. And she looked into my eyes and saw a future for me. She also saw that when this child grows older, she will be by my side to take care of me. Right now, as I speak, my mom is in a nursing home. And my stepfather has not allowed me to see her because of the anger and hatred that he has towards me. When I had a wild check done, a well check, sorry, not a wild check, but a well check done on her, I wanted to see her. And he's had me in his heart have me up in his heart that's how they would say it in Jamaica I'm sorry to say that I cannot see my mom because he has put a ban on it and that's the reason why I believe God hates divorce because he he sees and he knows and he understands the devastation and the damage that it can do to families including mine Just think for a moment what it would be like if you could not see your own mother and a total stranger, a man who just came into her life, 
has the authority to do something like that. Keep me away from my mom. God hates divorce, my friends. And so do I. And that's why you should too. This is the grand finale of One Flesh for Life. I hope you enjoyed our episodes. I'm here to let you know that you do not have to experience divorce ever again. God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. God bless. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Carol Ganawa, your Married for Life coach, and you are listening to One Flesh for Life. I hope everybody's doing well. We are on stage four of divorce cancer. This is the stage that most people know and can identify as the last stage where divorce has completely taken over your heart and you have already filed for divorce. What do you do when your loved one, you or your loved one, is going through a physical stage 4 cancer? I know what most people usually do. They take every step that they possibly can take to get rid of the cancer in their lives. They do chemotherapy, some people. Some people go through natural therapies. Some people do radiation. Some people do all types of other treatments, such as, you know, medicines, whatever they can to get rid of the cancer from spreading in their body, whether it's your breasts, your lungs, whatever. You, many of you cooperate with your doctors to make sure that whatever methodologies that they feel is necessary or whether whatever interventions they feel is necessary, you want to cooperate with them because you do not want this deadly cancer to take over your entire body and kill you. The same is true with the spiritual cancer called divorce. When you have filed for divorce from your one first spouse and it's finalized and the courts have received every documentation necessary that you are now divorced from your one first spouse, it's going to take more than just you saying, I want the restoration to my marriage. It's going to take more than that in order to salvage and save that one flesh marriage. We're going to talk more about this in our, in our later episode. But tonight, I want you to really, really understand the devastating and emotional side effects. Because in the natural, all cancers come with a lot of side effects. Some of it is vomiting. Some of it is diarrhea. Some of it is... You know, numbness in your body, weakness in your bone marrow. I I know these things because that is what these are some of the things that I was told that I would get if I were to go through chemotherapy, and that's one of the reasons why I did not cho- I didn't choose to do chemotherapy when I was going through stage three colorectal cancer. I didn't want to have to go through all these side effects. 
like vomiting, diarrhea, shortness, um, shortness of my white blood cells, weakening in my bones, numbness in my fingers and my arms. I didn't want to have to go through all that. And I know many of you out there, whether it's a loved one or yourself, I know you don't want to have to go through any side effects that come with divorce cancer, taking control of your life. That's why I continue to teach and tell you, you don't have to go through divorce ever again. Because God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. My goal is to help you not have to go through any of the side effects that a divorce will breed. And that leads, leads you to putting away your spouse. I want to share with you tonight through a real, real story. The effects of divorce from childhood to adulthood. So please listen carefully. And if you have any questions or comments, feel free to let me know. I would greatly appreciate that. Let me share with you a real story, okay, of this young girl. Our topic, the topic for tonight is the effects of divorce from childhood to adulthood. As a young little girl growing up in a foreign country, this little young girl lived with her grandparents. They were very strict Christians who didn't believe in fornication. The word divorce was like a taboo in this little girl's family. She barely knew what it even meant. At about 11 years, she would play outside under the mango tree or hide and go seek in her grandparents' backyard. She longed so badly for a relationship with her mother. She didn't know her mother. She wanted to, but she never thought that it was going to be very, very difficult to get to know her mother. She, just like any other young girl, wanted to get into a deeper, intimate relationship with her mother, the kind most little girls of her age dream of where her mother would listen to her whenever she talks to her, help her with her homework, even color in her favorite coloring book, or go outside to play with her, or take her for long walks around the block. These were all dreams that she held very dear in her heart. The reason why she couldn't experience many of these things was because her mother had left and was in a country far, far away from where she was living with her grandparents called the United States of America. She had heard about this place and longed to be there with her mother so they could finally get close to each other and spend quality time together. This was her dream. This was her desire. But in the meantime, she often wondered why her dad was not the same as her sister's dad. Why are they different? 
Why are they different, she thought. I don't understand. Why is my dad called a different name from my sister's dad? She didn't understand. Her dad was called Mr. Graham and her sister's dad was known as Neville. It was rather strange to her. Ever so often, she would get surprise visits by her mother from the United States of America, and that name, Neville, would come up very often. And when it did come up, she would see the fierce look in her mother's eyes as she spoke about him. Never did she hear anything good about this guy named Neville her sister's father. In fact, whenever her mother finished a few packs of cigarettes, as she was a very, very heavy smoker, she would usually utter curse words along with humiliating and interrogating statements about Neville. She often wondered, how come her sister didn't, didn't feel very scared? when she would say these very demeaning and ugly statements about her father. She even wondered how her sister could have felt about the whole matter. She pondered this in her heart as she grew older. In her adolescent years, she began to feel more and more courageous and bold enough to talk about this matter that was bothering her so much to her sister. She wanted to share her hidden and deep feelings about the matter with her. So she did. But her sister seemed very upset every time they would talk about it. She would share about it with her and she would be very, very reserved. She would seem very bitter and she would seem very remorseful. And she still didn't understand where this remorse bitter and ugly feelings that she saw in her sister's face and in her words and in her tones as she would speak to her about it. She wanted so badly to understand the pain that she saw her sister in and that she felt coming from her as she would speak to her about it. She would share with her how badly she felt about what was going on. She could tell it bothered her sister very deeply and probably more so since he was indeed her father. She would share with her the emptiness and regret that she felt having a father such as Neville and this bothered her greatly. To know that her sister was feeling so terrible having a father that was portrayed that way. Finally, the truth came out. Neville was divorced from her mother. It bothered both of them deeply. Even her sister the more. That her mom had never, ever discussed it with her. How dare she? She thought. Why wouldn't she want to talk about this with her? Something as important as this. 
she never thought it was important to tell her or discuss it with her, and that bothered her sister greatly. She tried to understand the pain that her sister had tried to talk to her about, but each time she did, it only made matters worse because she had no clue why her sister was feeling so sad and distraught about it. Maybe because she didn't understand. Maybe she didn't didn't feel it was right or fear for her mom to hide such a big secret from her. Why were they divorced? What led to the divorce? Why couldn't she tell her? The sadness grew and grew day after day, year after year. The day finally came when both children were informed that they would be leaving the foreign land that they grew up in and going to live permanently with their mother and their stepfather, who they called uncle, not dad, out of respect for him. This was bitter and terrible days for both of them, especially for her since she had always pondered it in her heart that the day would finally come. She felt the day would come someday where she would be able to get to know her mom like she wanted to. She's now in her late teen years. She finally gets to be with her mom. She thought, but what was supposed to be the most memorable and enjoyable years of her life turned into cold and unthinkable days for her. While living with her mother and her stepfather, she was despised by her stepfather. She could see the hatred in his face towards her and it bothered her deeply. Day after day, year after year, she had had the hopes that her mother would finally have the chance to get to know her and vice versa. But this dream never became a reality. Her mom was a workaholic. She lived for the bucks day in and day out. Her mom's workaholic lifestyle made her very cold and vulgar towards her and her sister. This cold and vulgar temperament, temperament, sorry, often ruined every day or night that they were together because often it would turn into moments of cursing and demeaning language and comments fired at both her and her sister. She now regretted the day that they left the joys of their foreign home and came to live in the United States. She even thought about committing suicide because she could, she could not bear the thought of leaving her country where she was so happy. But her best friend stopped her. When she finally couldn't take the verbal and the physical abuse from her mother anymore, she went off to college 
she left home. She finally began dating a young man whom she thought this would be the perfect match to get married. She wanted to follow in her aunt's footsteps and take her advice. And she had promised herself that she would take her auntie's advice. Her advice was, and she played it over in her mind all the time while she was dating him, never date someone who you wouldn't consider marrying. And she finally tied the knot with this young man because this was indeed the man that she would consider marrying. She thought to herself, surely, as I get older, now that my stepfather is with my mom, I definitely think that he wouldn't mind getting close, me getting close, or developing the deep intimate relationship that she longed for. So she said to herself, she felt that it was appropriate. And she thought her, her stepfather wouldn't mind it at all. To her surprise, he was not for it. He was completely against this idea. So she, so she came to understand. He never allowed her to visit her mother. And very rarely could she speak to her mother or have any conversation with her mother. This upset her so much, she discussed the matter with her family. They all agreed something must be definitely wrong. She was determined to find out what that was. She spoke to the local authorities who contacted her one day only to learn of her mother's severe illness. She did everything in her power to learn how and when it all happened, but to no avail. After years of trying to come to a further understanding of the truth as to where this sickness came from and why it happened, she was, she was with no, no help. And no one was there to assist her until finally she got in touch with her mother's social worker who decided to take it upon herself to help her find out more about the matter, which she was grateful for. Since then, her stepfather became more cold towards her, more cruel and more ruthless in her opinion. Now he refused to let her see or even talk to her mother, period. She couldn't even mention her name to anyone near her dear family. She wondered if what she had heard from other family members about her mother was actually true. Could it be true or was it just a lie that he made up to appease her? Could it really be true? Today, she's heartbroken 
over the thought that it's impossible to learn where her mother actually is or even if she is still alive. Maybe she's dead and no one knows. Maybe she's still alive but where to find her. This she doesn't know and it breathed severe sadness in her heart for the mere fact that her once childhood dream of getting to know and be with her own mother is now like an unsolved mystery to her. She hopes someday that it will be resolved by her own creator. The end. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to this story. I don't know if any of you realize that this little girl that I've been sharing with you about is me. I just learned today I don't know where my mother is. I don't know her whereabouts. I don't know where she is. I wonder if she's alive still or not. I'm not sure. And I'm asking you, my dear listeners, for those of you who pray, those of you who are listening, to say a word of prayer when you can for my dear mom. I long to see her someday. I long that we will be able to see eye to eye someday when it's possible. I look forward to that day and I surely will let you know if that day ever comes. I'm hoping that it will. And in the meantime, I want you to understand how torn I was when I was a little girl, not being able to feel what other little girls feel when they're with their mother. The close relationship that I've always longed for to have with my mother, I never had it. Yes, many said I came from a dysfunctional family, and that is true. But I, but I also had high hopes that someday as I grew older and I was able to better take care of myself and was able to make more responsible decisions, that I would be, be in a better position to grow, to know, and get to know my mom more. Now that I'm older, I long to talk to her as an adult about adult matters. I want to be able to talk to her about my children, her grandchildren. This, these feelings have always been inside me and it's now empty, empty and very, very bleak because I feel an emptiness inside because I can't. 
I feel like my hands are tied and that I can't do what I've always longed to do with my own mother, the woman that bore me, the woman that gave life to me when I first came out of the, her womb. I can't say to her the things that I've always wanted to say. I can't love on her like I've always wanted to love on her. I can't hug her or hold her in my arms like a normal person would want to do, especially in her old age and suffering with all the many sicknesses, the severe sicknesses that she does have. I want to be there for her. I had an emotional scar left upon my heart when I couldn't be with my mother for all those years that she was in the United States and I was living in at home with my grandparents. For all those years, it left a very, very hurtful and painful emotions in my heart. I was it was driving me crazy. It made me miserable. I couldn't I couldn't study at school. I tried to, but I always ran away and ran back home when I was feeling so empty and so so miserable. I would often leave school and go back home and they would say that I'm running away from school. And I was because I was distraught. I was feeling very very emotionally distraught. I was labeled an emotionally disturbed child. This is one of the effects of a divorce in family. Divorce breeds a division. It also leads to emotional turmoil in a child's life. And I'm here to tell you that it did exactly that for my life. Please Consider the effect of the emotional pain and trauma that your child or your children could go through if you were to leave or abandon your spouse and get a divorce. Please reconsider the options that the Word of God teaches us about this and that's what I'm going to be sharing on with you next month ways that you can prevent this deadly disease spiritual disease called divorce cancer from taking over your life please I am asking you to pray about it seek the will of the Lord concerning the direction that he wants you to take and know that God is right there with you because his desire is that you be one flesh for life. I do understand that there are cases of abuse and adultery. It does not have to get that far. There are ways that God's Holy Spirit, that I'm talking about the Lion of Judah, the Lion of Judah can teach you and he can show you ways to prevent any domestic violence from attacking your home. Any form of adultery, whether it's 
adultery from the heart or legalized adultery from attacking your one flesh marriage. We'll talk about this more. How you can prevent divorce, cancer from taking over your marriage. Remember, you don't have to experience divorce ever again. God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. God bless. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Carol Ganoa, your Married for Life coach, and you are listening to One Flesh for Life. Thank you so much for those of you who joined me on October 16th when I gave you my anniversary special. It was the Make America Great Again challenge. And I hope you will join me in supporting stronger families. I support strong families and I hope you do too. Tonight, in my effort to support strong families, I will be sharing with you on the fourth pillar and the fourth warning sign that your marriage is heading to divorce. I have to introduce you to this fourth pillow. I'm going to be sharing a little, a mini version of story time. I call it the Covies. So this is a Covey for you tonight. Okay, so listen carefully so I can give you a little bit of background and an illustration of what I'm going to be sharing. It's called Rover's Plight. Rover is a light brown cocker spaniel that arrived at the Bennington's home two years ago. They have been enjoying him since he came from the homeless shelter for animals. And now all of a sudden, the Bennington's noticed that Rover started itching very frequently since they changed his dog food diet. So they decided to buy him a new kind of dog food. The problem got worse. Not only is Rover itching more frequently, but Rover began to eat the cloth off the living room and everything he could find around the house when he got hungry. He ate all the paper Ken left on the kitchen table for work he ate the tablecloth hanging on the fridge, and he even ate Mary's handkerchief that her mother left her when she passed away 10 years ago. Ken, said Mary, what is wrong with Rover? He's much worse now since you've changed his food. Yeah, I noticed that too, said Ken. I will take him to the veterinarian in the morning. Thanks, said Mary. I really, really hope that they will figure this thing out. I am sick and tired of him eating everything, even my prized possession. Do you know how long Ma had given this to me? Do you know what it means to me? Now it's all gone because he's so crazily eating everything. I'm tired of it. Ken saw the look in Mary's face 
and he reminded her that he was going to take to the veterinarian in the morning. Don't worry, honey. I'll be sure and take him early tomorrow morning. Thank you, Mary remarked. Upon arrival at the veterinarian's office, Ken and Mary found out that Rover's strange behavior was a result of his iron deficiency. The veterinarian ordered 100 chewable tablets for the family to give Rover twice a week. Twice daily, actually. The end. The moral of this story, when you are lacking essentials in your life, you will crave for it. Rover is like us, like us as human beings. He was lacking in iron. Even though he was a dog, he has certain essentials that he needs for his body to operate and function to full capacity. And he needed the iron. And that's why he was eating, eating all this stuff all around the house. It was a sign of his iron deficiency. So the doctor provided what he needed in order to fix the deficiency that he had. When you, as a wifey or a hubby, are lusting after the desire of your flesh, that means you are craving for something. You're craving it because you are deficient in something. That's the difference between desiring something and craving something. Last time on our third pillar, we were talking about walking in the desires of your flesh. That is just your desire. That's just a desire for something. When your desire has reached a peak, that means it's at a higher grade of desiring something or someone. We call it lust. So the definition of lust is an intense, a really strong, strong desire, intense desire for something or someone. It's so intense that it's like uncontrollable. You just can't help yourself. You ever feel that way? You just can't help yourself. You have to have it. It's like you have to have it. It's just a craving. If I am, let's say like last week, I was coming from church and I just felt like having some ice cream. It was a little urge. But I saw the ice cream store and I drove past it. I didn't stop and get out to get an ice cream. I just, I just the desire hit me. All of a sudden, and I, I just passed the ice cream store and it didn't bother me. But at a different time, I was pregnant with my daughter and I was having urge for sweet things. And I saw the ice cream store and trust me, I was craving, craving for ice cream then. And I got out of my car I wasn't going to let no ice cream pass me this time. I got out of my car and I went and I got my ice cream. I could not resist it. That's lusting. 
that's the level of what I am talking about tonight. We're talking about lusting after the desires of your flesh. This is not an ordinary desire. This is a craving. You have got to have it. When you are at this point in your marriage, you are headed for divorce. This is a warning sign that your marriage is heading to divorce. It's not, it's not an easy desire. It's an intense desire. It's not a little bit. It's a whole lot. It's a whole lot, guys. Not a little bit. I know, I know some of you can relate to what I'm talking about. It's pretty much an example of this is when you are lusting after someone else. You want that some you want another person. This is what the scripture calls having the adultery in your heart. You're lusting for somebody. That's an example. So lusting is an intense desire for something or someone. You have such a strong desire for it that you just don't know how to control yourself from having it or the, or getting more of it. Have you ever been in that situation before? I know a lot of you have. So when you lust, it's satisfied when you receive what you're craving for. Like in my example that I gave you before, the ice cream, I was craving for it. I just couldn't couldn't control myself. I had to have it. And I got I got what I wanted. I got my ice cream. We have an intense desire. For example, let me share what instigates. Let me give you an example of what really instigates lustful feeling. What triggers lust? What triggers your intense this intense desire or craving for something? When you lust, it's triggered when there's a void in your life. Just like Rover. Rover was having a deficiency in iron. So when you are deficient in something, that's when you have a craving. A craving or a lust, an intense desire. If you are feeling lonely, for example, you're going to fill that void. Because loneliness is a terrible feeling. You don't want to be lonely. Some of you are feeling lonely before you got married. You were feeling lonely before you got married. You may be up in age or you may have been young. It doesn't matter, but you were lonely. You were feeling, you, were, you had a void in your life. You felt like you needed somebody in your life. So you started flirting and you started dating you started going out to clubs, you started to hang out with your friends and you you tried to fill that void of loneliness that was there. That's what lust, how lust is triggered. It's triggered when we have a void in our life. And remember, last time I shared with you in the third pillow, when you're walking in the desires of your flesh, you have to... If you are not careful and you don't have the Holy Spirit as a flesh mentor leading you, you're going to end up in the web of divorce, right? 
It's the same thing with when you have a craving. That means you are lusting after the desires of your flesh. And it's simply because you have deficiency. You have a void in your life. So we must stay in close communication with our Father, Jesus Christ, the flesh mature, the Holy Spirit. If you stay in close communion with him, then he will help control this strong desire that you have because there's a deficiency and he will he's there to help you and assist you to overcome your deficiency let me give you another example when there's a horrific trauma in your life like the death of your mother your father a child loved one you may be empty of joy and peace because of the death of your family member it might be weeks maybe months or years before some of you get over the pain of losing a loved one or someone close to you some people fill that void of not being able to have that special someone in their life some people fill it with by overeating they get hungry very often or some of you fill that void of not having that special person around anymore. Some of you handle it by going out a lot or, or staying out late or visiting other people that you never used to before. Some of you get into cigarette smoking or drinking. A lot of us handle everything differently everybody handles it differently but that's some of the ways that you handle that void that the joy that you used to have with them being around the peace that you used to have the relaxation that you used to have so you fill it that void so you have a craving for something else and that's how you take care of it when you are empty of joy and peace you might resort to taking a few drinks you just drink it socially. Socially, you drink a few drinks when your neighbors come around or your family or your friends. But those few drinks turn into heavy drinking later on down the road. And when it turns into the heavy drinking, that's when you really, really are craving more. So the desire turned into a craving so you are now lusting after the desire of your flesh. Your flesh wants more alcohol. Your flesh wants more time spent out of the home. Your flesh wants more food whenever you're feeling hungry. Are you guys following what I'm saying? I hope you are. So that's just one, of it, one example. Once in a while... You might slip back into your old lifestyle. Remember before you were before you were saved, you used to look at porn movies. Now that your family or loved one is has passed, you go back to looking at those. Just to give you some enjoyment. Maybe your first husband passed away and now you're in your second marriage 
Now you're in your second one flesh marriage. You felt the pain of losing your first husband. Now you're in your second one. And you just you just don't know how to get over it. So you're following the craving to be with someone and you start flipping through that porn book. You used to use it when you were when you were before you were married. Then you put it away and you got over it because you are now married. You had somebody. But then that person, that special someone in your life has passed. Now you're gone back to it. You're craving, you're lusting a desire that you used to have. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you missing the days when your wifey used to be a pleasure to you? You know, when you first married her, she was looking all beautiful. She was the hottest thing since sliced bread. She was just the most beautiful queen that you could ever have. Now you've had children. Her body's getting older. She doesn't look as attractive to you as she used to be as when you first met her. Sometimes you look and you're wondering if it's the same person. She's just gotten older and she's gotten into the routine of working, you know. She's gotten so used to you that she doesn't care about fixing up and dressing up like she was crazily ready for you when you first dated her. And you miss that attractive woman. You miss that beautiful woman. There's a void in your life. You are missing what you used to have. So now you desire it back. And instead of talking to her and sharing your concerns with her, you develop a craving. You now begin to lust and try to fill that void with another woman. Someone at your work that seems as attractive as your wife used to be and that you wish her to be like that, you see it in somebody at your job. You see that in the sister at your church and now you're looking at her. Now you're flirting with her and you want to be with her. You exchange phone numbers, you go out with her and before you know it, you're in bed with her. You are lusting the desire of your flesh because the void of not having the beautiful, attractive wife that you used to have is missing in your life. And it's going to lead to divorce. See, you can't, you can't control your feelings. It's just, it's just, it's just hard because the, the, the void is still there. You want, you desire her to be attractive. And you want her to be, but you just don't know how to communicate it to her. So you are lusting after that desire. This is called committing adultery in your heart. I know if you've been there before, I know how you feel because I was there too. And I share my story in detail in my book, Divorce Proof Your First Marriage. I fell in that same trap. If you're feeling sorry about it, 
that's understandable. I know how you feel. Like I said, I've been there before too. I've been there, done that. And it's not easy. It's a trap of the devil. Trust me, guys. It's a trap of the devil. How do we get out of this trap? We need to use the fourth pillar, which is the financial pillar, to help us stay clear of this trap of of Satan. This is a trap of Satan that is going to lead you to divorce. How can we how can we use this fourth pillar to help us not to have a craving for the desires of our flesh? Let me start with the hobbies first. Hobbies, this time it's for you. This is for you. You need to be the provider for your home. The in the instructional manual this is the manual that has been made for one flesh couples aka the bible it says in 1 Timothy 5:8 that a man who does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel that means he's worse than an heathen in Genesis chapter 3:19 God spoke to Adam and he gave him He gave him the commandment that by the sweat of your brow you will make bread. This was when sin entered the earth and Adam lost his fellowship with God and got kicked out of the garden. He said, "Now you will by the sweat of your brow make bread." Man is the provider for the family. Hobbies, please Do not take your responsibility lightly. You need to be the provider for your family. Are you spending your money on the latest car? Are you spending your money wisely? Are you de- ignoring your wife's need for a new kitchen or a new microwave? I'm not talking about elaborate needs. I'm talking about basic needs. basic needs that must be met you are the provider for your home don't take this responsibility lightly are you are you really really focused on paying attention to your wife's need and making sure you're providing for her and your family or are you spending it very loosely on yourself if you are then you are craving and you're lusting after the desires of your flesh and what you what your money is going to be used to spend on you okay watch where you are going with this money you need to be more concerned with getting the basic needs of your family met not getting the latest car rather than providing for your home Are you more concerned with spending a large portion of your paycheck to purchase lottery tickets rather than invest this into your wife and children if applicable? Be careful. If you find yourself focus your spending on yourself and your needs, you are lusting after the desires of your flesh, and that is going to lead you into the web of divorce. When when was the last time you set aside your money to take you and your wife on a nice family vacation or you and the children? Or when was the last time you took your spouse out on a real date 
like the date that you spent so much time working on when you were getting married, before you got married to her. You took her out on a date before you got married. Why not take her out a date every now and then? Think about that. Let me turn to wifey. Because you're not going to get away with it either. Wifey, are you spending your income or your money on clothing and shoes? Rather than focusing on your health and your well-being? Like the example that I gave before. The husband that saw you as the best thing since sliced bread. You were the most attractive woman to him. Remember, as years go by, you have children or you now that you have him, you don't want to keep up with your body. You don't want to pay attention to your health and you're spending your money on everything else except going to the gym, except taking care of your health making sure that you have your vitamins, making sure that your body is still as beautiful as it was when you first met him. Be careful. Because if you do not take care of your own body, your husband is going to be tempted to find it in somebody else. He's going to te- he's going to be tempted to look on the other side, to look for greener pastures, as they would say. You don't want that. You really, really don't want that. He needs to see the attractive woman that you were from day one. He wants wants that woman still. He wants her to remain beautiful, pretty, gorgeous. He does. When you tie the knot, you are the most beautiful thing. You are the hottest chick on the earth. And he wants you to remain that way. Don't, don't be fooled. He wants you to remain that way. And you have that responsibility to remain attractive and beautiful for your hobby. Are you getting what I'm saying? He wants to see the beauty that he held from day one. Are you aware that you are spending, do you find yourself spending your money to buy junk food at work instead of putting, setting the money aside for healthy snacks that will not lead you to become sick with hypertension or diabetes or even cancer? Are you watching how you're spending your money while at work or when you're going to school? Be careful because when you have these cravings for these junk foods, it's going to lead to deficiency in your body. You might be deficient in iron, just like Rover was. You might get be deficient in, in oxygen or essential vitamins. When I had colorectal cancer, I did not know that one of the reasons why I was craving so much for sleep was because I was deficient in iron. When I had colorectal cancer, I was craving for sleep. Every time I was so tired because I was deficient in sleep. What was, key? What was the reason for my deficiency in sleep? 
I was not having iron, enough iron in my body. And that led to me becoming sick with colorectal cancer. When we are craving for something, when we are lusting in the desire of our flesh, it's because we are lacking in something. Please take care of your body, take care of your wifey, take care of your hubby, and don't allow any deficiency to come into play in your marriage. I support strong families. I believe that if you take care of the deficiencies, any deficiency in your marriage, whether it's loneliness, whether you have a deficiency to see your wife look as beautiful as she was from the beginning, or whether you have a deficiency in finances, y'all pray about it, y'all get on your knees and pray about it so that the deficiency will be taken care of. You don't want to have a craving for the desire of your flesh because that's going to lead down to the path of divorce. And the most important one is you don't want to be deficient in tithing. When you're deficient in tithing, that's when your tank, your financial tank will run out. Jesus said it in Malachi 3, 8 to 11. If you give him the portion that is due to him, he has promised that you will see your storehouse filled and you will lack nothing. This rule applies to those who are saved or not saved. If you are a Christian or a non-Christian, if you follow God's law and you set aside the portion of tithing that belongs to him, he promises you that he will pour pouring the finances and fill up your financial tank so that there will not be enough room to receive of it. If you find out that you are lacking in finances in your marriage, check your tithing barometer. Maybe it's gone down. Maybe you haven't even picked it up. Check it out and get into tithing faithfully so that God can fill your storehouse and there will be room enough. There will not be room enough to receive it. Thank you for listening to me tonight. You have a wonderful evening and don't forget, you never have to experience divorce ever again. God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. God bless. Good evening. Good evening, everyone. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm Carol Ganawa, your Married for Life coach, and you are listening to One Flesh for Life. I hope everybody had a wonderful time this week. I know that you must have missed me because I was gone last week. I decided to take a break because I was spending time with my daughter. She came from the academy, and I just um, felt like I needed to spend more time with her, since I was not going to—I'm not going to see her again until April. 
So thank you for being patient with me and welcome back to One Flesh for Life on Anchor. It was so good to enjoy my daughter's company, but now I'm back here. And this month, we are going to be focusing on mindfulness. And I call mindfulness the other-centric life. That's what I call mindfulness. We are going to be speaking, I'm going to be talking about how to be mindful of your husband or your wife. And that's what I call the other-centric life. Let me explain to you what I'm talking about. You see, when you are single, you spent a lot of time on yourself. Of course you did. Women would spend a lot of time going out to their parties with their friends, going to the clubs, and you got up when you wanted to. You went out as late as you wanted to. You didn't have anybody to be accountable to you. Nobody had to tell you, oh, what time are you coming back or anything like that. Men, the same way. You went out and got a drink with your friends or whatever, and you didn't have anybody to give an account to. That's when you're single. When you got married, though, that's a whole new ball game, friends. Of course it is. Your vocabulary, when you were single, was me, what I have to do, and myself, for myself, and I. That's what your vocabulary was. But then when you got married, that changed. That all changed, my friend. Even in the instruction manual, it says that a woman who has a husband will tend to the needs of her husband. Is more, And she's focused on tending to the needs of her husband. But when she was single, she focused on her needs and what she needs to do. It's the same, guys. When you get married... Your vocabulary should change. And that's what I call the other-centric life. The other-centric life is focusing on the needs of others. Focusing on serving others. Just like Jesus was. Jesus lived an other-centric life when he came on this earth. He came to serve others. He didn't come to serve. He came. He didn't come. Sorry. Did I say that? He didn't come to serve. Of course he did. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve others. That's the other centric life, my friend. So your vocabulary changes from me, myself, and I to we, ours, and us. And let me tell you why that is important. That is important because Jesus gave us that example. When he came, he served his disciples. He served the community. Everywhere he went, he was focused on serving the needs of the people that were around him. He focused on serving those at the banquet and he gave the wine. He May the water turn into wine. He focused on the needs of others. If you are going to be mindful of your hubby or your wifey, you're going to have to focus on their needs 
above your own. It's no longer me, myself, and I, but we, us, and ours. For example, when you were single, you had your own checking account. And like me, and I know some of you might not agree with this, but um, I wanted my husband and I, we both talked about this. And we said, you know what? I don't want my own checking account. Let's join our accounts together. So we, I closed my checking account. He closed his checking account. And now we have a joint checking account once we got married. Because I didn't want to focus on just me anymore. It's not my money anymore. It's our money. And that's why if you go to church with me, you will notice that I put on my offering envelope, Stephen and Carol Ganoa. Because it's now, I'm giving as one flesh. Because we are both one flesh in Christ. So I'm giving some of our money to the Lord. Isn't that isn't that neat? Don't you think so? Let me let me let me back up a little bit and tell you something else. How many of you remember the little Sunday school song that we used to sing? I'm wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus, wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in Jesus, I'm wrapped up. Tied up, tangled up in Jesus. I'm going with Jesus all the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Laugh as much as you want to. I am not a singer. I don't I don't consider myself a great singer. So anyway, any of you who remember that song, the Sue song, you know exactly what it's talking about when it says we're wrapped up and tied up and tangled up in Jesus. That means that we want to serve God. We want to, we are all about Jesus. We're all about serving God. We're all about doing what God wants us to do. We're all about obeying the Lord. That is the same attitude we must have if we are going to live a other centric life. We got to be wrapped up and tied up in the Lord as we serve our spouses. When we are wrapped up, tied up, and entangled up in Jesus, that means we're focusing on what Jesus would do concerning our husbands. What would Jesus say about, about our lives? What would Jesus think about us as we are living with our spouses? What would Jesus feel? How would Jesus feel in this particular situation, how would Jesus feel about me? How I communicate with my husband? How would Jesus address me as he look at me and how I treat my husband or how I treat my wife? You get where I'm coming from? That's what the other centric life is all about. It's living the life, being mindful of our spouses being mindful of how they're re how they're going what they're going through what they're thinking what they're feeling what's going on in their world what's going on in their minds let me let me get it really home to you a little bit more let's say your husband 
and I know there are a lot of husbands out there who are like this and can relate to what I'm going to say right now. There are some husbands who come home after they've gone to work and they're coming to their living room and they just turn on the channel to their favorite basketball game or soccer game or football game and their eyes are glued on that television. Their eyes are really glued on that television and it's like they block out everything else and all they can be focused on is that television and their game. And you have a serious problem that you want your husband to pay attention and listen to you about. And they just are, their eyes are just glued to that TV. And that is the time that you want them to listen to you as you try to pour out something to them. Guys... I know you can relate to this. And ladies, let me tell you something. You have to be mindful that your husband is not in the mental framework. Not framework, I'm sorry. He's not in the mental mindset. His mindset is not on what you have to say right now. And you got to be mindful. Are you mindful that your husband has been thinking about the welfare of the family and how the budget is going to be split up for months. He has been thinking about it. And so he's sitting in front of that TV just to chill and to get a mental, mental break from all that mental energy that he has been putting in to working on the budget. Are you mindful of that? That's what I'm talking about. Now for the men. Men, when your wife come trashing at you at the door, right as you come in from work, and she said, honey, honey, we got to talk. We got to talk. And you're like, woman, what? why can't you understand that I'm just coming in the door? Can't it wait? I'm, I don't have the time right now to really think through what you're going to try to tell me. I don't know if I'm going to have the solution. I'm not sure if I'm going to know how to solve it or whatever. Men, are you mindful? And are you thinking about the fact that your wifey only needs your listening ears for just a couple seconds. She just needs you to pour. She just needs to pour out and for you to listen. Not to fix the problem. Not to solve the problem. But only to listen. Are you mindful of that? If you're not. I want you as a husband. And I want you as a wife. To get your homework notebook. And write down. Men are from Mars. Women are from Vegas. That is going to be your homework assignment for this week. That is going to help you understand men and understand women. That's the book that I want you guys to read. That is going to be your homework on helping you to be mindful of how your husband thinks, how your husband might behave, and why he's behaving that way. And wifey, that's the same thing for you. I want you to read this book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, and it's Dr. John Gray's book. It's a bestseller out there. 
I want you to read that for homework. And it will help you, wifey, to understand how your husband is thinking, why he's thinking the way he does, how he's thinking under stress, what kind of behavior he he does when he's under stress and when he's in a good mood, when he's in a bad mood, what to say, what not to say, things like that. So please have that ready uh, with questions if you have any for next week which is part two, I'm going to still focus on understanding how to live the other-centric life. Thank you so much for joining me this week, guys. It was so good to be back with you this week. I really appreciate you guys listening to One Flesh for Life. And I thank you for all your support. And please don't forget, you never, ever have to experience divorce ever again. God put the two of you together to be one flesh for life. God bless. Welcome back. Good evening, everyone. This is Carol Ganawa, your Married for Life coach. And I believe it is just appropriate for me to end this Thanksgiving night Thanking you, my faithful listeners, for tuning in every Sunday night at 9 p.m. to One Flesh for Life. I want to thank you for listening faithfully to the podcast. I want to thank you for prayerfully supporting this podcast and financially supporting it, those of you who are. I do appreciate it. And I thank God for each and every one of you. I believe that you've been called to your one flesh marriage for such a time as this. To be an example in the earth. To be a voice in the earth. Because your voice is different from any other voice in the earth. I believe your wifey and your hubby are special couple that God has raised up in this hour as an example of his love and his compassion as an example of what he wants to see in couples in the earth so I thank God for you and I bless God for you if you have not given God thanks yet for your wife your hobby please do so before this night is over and don't forget to thank the founder and the creator of your one flesh marriage as well. God bless you. God continue to watch over you and take care of you. And God continue to shield you and protect you from any attack of the enemy on your one flesh marriage. I will continue to prayerfully consider each and every one of you in my prayers and I will continue to pray for God's strength and God's power to continue to rest upon you and his grace to continue to abound upon you. Please listen to this song and remember that you're unique and special in God's eyes and in mine's as well. And I want to thank you for being the one flesh couple that God ordained you to be. Thank you again for all your support. God bless.